You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. Have you ever wondered if there's anything larger than yourself, or perhaps larger than our planet, or perhaps larger than our solar system, or perhaps larger than our galaxy? Man, wow. Or have you ever wondered what it's like to be immortal? Well, if you have asked those questions, then we have found the right podcast. Welcome to Systematic Ecology. Today, we are talking about the big MCU next phase four movie, The Eternals. So... We'll just share with you that if you haven't seen the movie, there will be spoilers. Pause this podcast right this moment. Go watch the movie, then come back, and then join us in this conversation. I am Will Rose. I'm a Lutheran pastor in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and uh, really stoked to be a part of Systematic Ecology and all the conversations that we're having. And one thing that I'm kind of geeking out about or bringing me joy is that today I got my booster for the vaccine. So I am boosted up and, you know, who knows, I may turn into a superhero later on or the Hulk. We'll see what happens. Uh, I am Joe. Um, I am a marketer and broadcaster. Um, and right now I am geeking out on Star Trek The Next Generation. We're about halfway through the series and so far so good. Awesome. Good, good sci-fi. Kind of the OG sci-fi, right? That's kind of the, yeah. how it all started. Cool. Well, we're here to talk about uh, the movie Eternals. And before we get into rankings and what we thought about the movie itself, you know, Marvel has had a decade of setting up these different phases of this grand universe, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And we're now into a new phase uh, with a few movies that have come out over the summer and this fall and now... The Eternals has been hyped as the big next phase in the MCU. And so we're going to give our hot takes and our lukewarm takes and our rankings and what we think about and what, the questions that it it raises for us in terms of big theological and philosophical questions. But, but before we get into that, uh, Joe and I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of our history of the Eternals. You know, we all have our history of superheroes, whether we picked up a Superman comic or a Spider-Man comic. The Eternals is a little bit more obscure. Uh, so, uh, Joe, what is your history with this group of characters that made it to big screen? So some of my first comics that I was introduced to were found in boxes at estate sales that I would go to my father with, and that we would basically clear them out and things like that. And so my background, like, is kind of all over the place, early days, sort of thing. And I remember um, seeing some of these comics with these characters that were drawn to be metaphorically and figure or, or, and literally larger than life. Um, and, and so I, I kind of had the, uh, I'm not sure if it was a pleasure or if it was a problem, but regardless, mm -hmm. I had some experience with these, with these characters and understanding what these characters were and what they weren't prior to them joining the MCU toy box. Yeah. Yeah. I'm there with you. I grew up on, on Marvel comics, X-Men, Uncanny X-Men was, was my uh, geek of choice when I was a, a kid and into the teenage years. And then when I got back into comics in the early two thousands, I dove right into just anything, whether it was DC, Vertigo, independent Marvel, 
um, I was just amazed at this genre of storytelling of, of the uh, serialized storytelling, the graphic novel, the art, uh, the word balloons, just love it all. So I, I definitely knew of, of Jack Kirby and his stamp in the Marvel universe and uh, his kind of place on Mount Rushmore as the kind of founding father of, of modern and postmodern comics and even some of his drama he had with Stan Lee. Uh, I didn't really know his history of, of going, of being at Marvel, then went to DC and then back to Marvel. Uh, so I had to do some background and, and read a book on that and did a little deep diving. And yeah, and some of the story of Jack Kirby is that, you know, yeah, he created these big characters we know like Iron Man, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, X-Men, uh, but then was disillusioned with Marvel, felt like he was getting shortchanged on the creative end of things uh, financially. So he went to DC, created the new gods and uh, created this whole no big wing of, of DC uh, characters that, that you know, are, we see in their movies today, right? Uh, but then he came back to, back to Marvel and Marvel saw that what he did with the new gods and said, we want you to do that similar thing with us. So out of that is what birthed the Eternals. He tried to recreate new gods and dark side and this big kind of intricate sci-fi uh, mythology. And so that's what birthed the Eternals. I wasn't that familiar with the Eternals. I know they, Neil Gaiman rebooted them a few years back and uh, read a little bit of that, but not too deeply. And then when I knew this movie was coming up in the phase four of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I, I read some original uh, trades with uh, Jack Kirby's run on the Eternals from the very beginning, and then uh, some of Neil Gaiman's uh, work with with the Eternal too. So it's still, uh, I will confess that there are a lot of characters and there's a lot of depth there, or um, complicated family trees and mythologies that are built <laughs> upon that. So I, I still have to be reminded of who's who and what's their power and what's their place. It's is a little convoluted for me, but that was what I tried to do some research before going in, into the movie. Yeah, this is one of those areas of comics where um, it's it's this combination of deep and involved and rich and incomplete and um, not really fully flushed out. So. It's kind of a it's kind of a hard place to play in when you're talking about creating something to fit into this already established mythology, especially taking it from the point of view of trying to uh, shove as many of those that pantheon of characters mm. into one single spot at one single time, you know, right. Right, yeah, I think I think you're right. Like this kind of pantheon of of characters uh, being brought into this next phase, it it was a, it was a big reach. It was pretty ambitious, and I I admire uh, the um, what they're trying to do with this. We'll we'll talk about here in a moment whether we thought it, it hit the right marks or not. But but I definitely was an ambitious movie with these characters to try to pull in Marvel as this history. Not only do they lift up the the main characters as you said in their toy box like spider-man iron man uh and, and captain america thor but they have these other kind of b-list c-list characters and they they have a good track record of pulling in kind of the c-listers and putting them in the limelight and helping us care about them whether it's 
Groot or Rocket Raccoon or, or Star-Lord, you know, when they first announced Guardians of the Galaxy, I was like, what? They're going to do that? Okay, that's how they're going to expand. And the same, my same reaction was with the Eternals. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy hit a little bit more uh, at home for me than this one, but but yeah, good good effort. And um, yeah, so let's let's talk about the movie. Um, what did you think? What what stood out for you? What what kind of rankings or grade do you give it? <laughs> so I thought it was a very pretty movie. Let's start there. Mm-hmm. I think visually speaking. I thought they did a very good job um, keeping it visually compelling. Absolutely. And I have to agree that this is a movie that, you know, this one's for you, Dan. This is a movie that really tried to leave behind the Marvel formula. And they're very, there absolutely is a Marvel formula, good, bad, or indifferent. A lot of them are very samey in a lot of ways. And it's, it's made them remarkable success. But this is a movie that not only did they try to cram a whole lot into a very small space, but they tried to do so in a way that to a certain degree subverted some of the expectation that people would have going into a Marvel movie. So I can understand it myself. I thought it was, like I said, pretty, you know what I mean? I thought it was ambitious. I thought they tried to do a lot. Um, I thought the pacing was all over the place. I thought they tried a little too hard at being highbrow. You know, I think that it's, uh, don't get me wrong, I love, you know, we're going to get into some of the um, philosophical and theological implications of some of the questions that are that were raised by this movie. And those are the kinds of things I love about being a geek, being able to mm. discuss and cut it up about what these questions are and what these concepts are and different things like that, because they're weighty. But... When you try too hard to make that the sole um, the sole objective behind where you're trying to go with the whole piece, then you are catering to a very small part of the audience. It's it's all the same as if they were to go through and make it, you know as comic book accurate as possible and a whole bunch of, you know, Easter eggs that only, you know, only uh, seasoned comic book fans would, would know and all that you're secluding a big part of the audience when you do that. And so what, what I think they were trying to do ended up being translated in a lot of respects as slow, convoluted. um, And just honestly, a lot of the same critiques that I have heard people make about DC movies. This very much felt like a DC Marvel movie in a lot of respects. Hey, they even, I mean, I can't believe they got away with it, but they even name dropped Superman literally in the movie. One of the the kid was like, Hey, it's Superman. You know, you shoot lasers and you fly around with a cape. And he was like, I don't have a cape, but yeah, I was like, wow. Okay. Making a dig or, you know, and, and 10 characters is a lot. Like, yeah, I, it is ambitious with its, its, you know, it started with in the beginning, dot, 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 and then scrolled almost like a Star Wars scroll of, 
of this grand narrative or mythology of creation. Uh, so it's invited. I mean, this movie was created for systematic ecology for us to geek out over and talk about and dissect and deconstruct. Uh, but then it leaned into, yeah, the you can emote ten character, ten Eternals um, that have the same powers as the Justice League, uh, and then even tip your hat that one of the characters is very similar to Superman, just to let people know that you're self-aware of those things. Uh, yeah, I, I get it. I, for me, I, I'm there with you. I thought, um, yeah, it set up some big questions. I, I loved the big grand universe building aspect of it. I love the idea of the celestials and what's behind the fabric of the universe and where did it come from and where it's going. That stuff just pulled me in. I just wanted more of that for each, the individual, the Eternals, I guess I didn't have a history with them. They try to set up their backstories and history along the way, which, as you said, the pacing, uh, a little convoluted. I didn't care about them as much. So when one of them died, I was like, I, I don't care. I mean, I, of course, I care when somebody dies. I, but, but I wasn't like invested into this character enough to be like really pulled on the heartstrings. I was like, okay, yeah, I guess some die, some live, they're immortal, something's going on. Um, I guess the main characters weren't a, that attractive. It fell a little flat for me. Um, yeah. But the grand universe that the MCU is building in terms of phase four, that's the stuff that I care about the most. And that's part of, partly speaks probably to my, my, my palate more when it comes to theology and philosophy anyway. But, but man, when they pulled back the curtain on what was going on in the larger galaxy or the universe, I was like, yeah, more of this. When he came back to Earth to find out about the Eternals, I was like, oh, hum, okay, what's next? We're, we're working through that formula. Yeah, I think that with something like this, you know, it, it's it's wonderful to see the narrative yarn weaving and setting up all of the 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 history of this universe that we've already come to care about. The problem becomes when you try to start there, when that is its own story, that it's that there's enough meat on the bone that you could just do that. And progressively through this story, that uh, gravitas, I guess, that they that 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 they had built up this, you know, anticipation just kind of felt flat because you you took you took the watcher out of that mm. and into a story piece about characters that were not developed. It's interesting that you bring up the death that for me, I knew that actor from a different movie and he was the, you know, fan favorite likable guy in that movie. He dies in both movies, but I cared more because I had just recently saw him in something else. I did not care about his character so him dying was like, oh, okay, you know, I, I don't, I just met you, so sorry, but I don't overly care. You know what I mean? You, there's right. no weight behind it. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about the depiction of the gods of the universe, then there should be weight behind what happens. When you're talking about the cosmic aspect of the Marvel universe, there should be huge implications behind that. That's why I came out of this saying that would have been, if you would have cut off half of that movie, made that a movie, and then 
put the rest on on Disney Plus in some kind of miniseries or something along those lines, that would have been much better. Most people have pretty uh, sophisticated home watching environments nowadays. And with all of the streaming platforms thirsty for content, come on. Like, to me... It, it felt like the same kind of critique that could be given to most of the other MCU movies that kind of fell flat. It was more than one movie shoved into, like, spliced together into one Frankenstein piece. You know right. what I mean? Which is similar to, like, the DC movies that critique with that. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Like, I think yeah. you can get creative. You know, we definitely have the streaming services that are hot right now that have the episodic. Star Wars has leaned into that. And then you have the movies that were trying to get people post-pandemic uh, back into the theaters. And this is happening. It made a lot of money, and they, they may make more of the Eternals. It said the Eternals will return. But, I'm, I, yeah, maybe the next step in evolution, since evolution and progress is a part of this movie, a big theme. You can show Charles Darwin's face and uh, framed up on the wall, is maybe the evolution is you do some episodes or – or streaming services episodes that then lead to the big movie or have a big movie to introduce these things and then lead into episodes yeah. like they did with, uh, you know, the, the winter soldier and the Falcon and, um, Loki and those kinds of things. I, I think star Wars, hopefully will do that too. They have all these episodes come into Disney plus, and then hopefully maybe there'll be some grand, uh, uh, intersectionality where it becomes one big movie to draw it all together. So I'm, I hope they get creative and think outside the box of those things. It's funny. You talked about the Marvel formula. Um, it, we've seen so many of that played out, so much of that played out. People are climbing for like, oh, let's do something different. I want to see something different. Well, this movie tried to do something different. And people are like, wait, where's the formula? I'm not connecting. Right. So we go back and forth. Us, us fans tend to do that. You know, even in Star Wars, like we want to see some things different. Why do you do the same thing over again? Do things a little different. Wait a minute. Where's, where you do, why are you doing things different? So we, we sometimes can uh, get a little uh, uh, two-faced or hypocritical when it comes to those things of what we're clamoring for. I always tell people that are particularly upset about a comic, a, a decision made in a comic arc that, you know, really changes things and stuff like that. Wait a couple of years. Nobody yeah. stays dead in comics. There's been two <laughs> people in the entirety of comics that have stayed dead and they haven't really, there's been what if things and different side stories and stuff like that, where they've been written back into existence. Mm -hmm. Nothing, nothing stays permanent in comics. So it's, it's the same deal with the source material, right? You have people that will talk about how Superman has been this way forever, how this character has been this way forever. We want something new. We want something different. And when that is introduced, now, granted, a lot of the current stuff falls into the category of, yeah, they're introducing new stuff, but without a lick of proper storytelling, they're just mm. changing things to change things up and to, you know, push agendas and yada, yada, yada. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, there is some backlash that's happening with this that proves that people will argue over a stick like people will, will argue and freak out over the dumbest things like guys yeah. you're 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 getting ugly over a movie let's just keep this grounded in what it is it's a movie based off of a comic book so <laughs> even for somebody like me that didn't necessarily thoroughly enjoy it i can see 
that this was something that they just tried to go off what they what they established as the status quo. And I think that knowing the 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 comic book um the source roots of the MCU and what that looks like in comic book form, I thought they were brilliant. That is a storyline that really does start off more grounded. And as the story, as that saga goes on, that's when you start to see even more so in the comics than in than than how they ended up playing it out in uh, movie form. The um, celestial side, the god side of it, start to come out, and it boils down to cosmic figures and this and that. Mm-hmm. You know, so so that was a smart track that they went on. So when you have this new direction, that people, I think this is also suffering from people being a little unsettled because we are now in a post end game post this this first mm-hmm. section of the story being told era where if there's any missteps oh they're slipping oh it's this it's that it's all <laughs> it's all of a sudden super bad because so and so is doing this or whatever you know I, I think it is suffering a bit from that but you have to go someplace and if you wind back the clock a, a bit one of the biggest gripes that I've heard from people when it comes to the MCU is that it is very much a contained story on these characters. We want to know what happens beyond these things. We want to know more things like Thanos. We want to know what the gods are, what the, these different things. And this, that is what this movie gave to you. Not might not have been necessarily super well done because I don't think it was, but for better or for worse, this ripped the Band-Aid off on the cosmic side of the MCU. And that's why I say that I, that I wish that they gave us something bombastic in the beginning of this. Like, the, like a movie that's really trimmed down and things like that. Then have your character beats. Have this giant, I would go as far as to say bloated cast of characters be able to work within an episodic environment where you can take time to tell their stories and then have that either bleed into another one of the major movies where you can see these these characters that you're you know spending all of this money to to get on the big screen again either in their own movie or playing with other characters that are in the toy box. You know what I mean? Those kinds of things because they tried, it's, it's the same. I would, I would say that this felt the same. They felt to to a similar problem as, as the, the DCEU. They tried to take all of this stuff and cram it down into one condensed thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, a little, a little friendly ribbing from across the aisle. Clearly, whoever shot—I don't have his name right in front of me—but whoever laid out this movie was a giant Jack Zack Snyder fan because they literally <laughs> did the Superman, the Superman shot, the the super zoom in and to to signify when Superman was throwing a punch. They literally took that shot for this movie. You know what I'm saying? Right. 
Right. And, and you know, there is this balance. Like I'm, I'm there for the movie. I, I came to this movie, not with a lot of baggage because I didn't know these characters very well. So I'm like, Hey, teach me. I'm, I'm ready to soak up something new. I've done a little bit of reading the graphic novels and a little bit about Jack Kirby and that that's this place in the, it's place in the Marvel universe back in, in the late seventies. But, but I'm, I'm here to soak it up. I don't know much about this. I don't have a lot of, um, care for this. So I was there for the story, but I, there isn't a sense. I'm also for that balance of, I'm there for the end. I'm ready for the end credit scene to show me what the next step is. What's the next, what's the teaser for the next movie? What's the hype to these end credit scenes? So it's almost like I'm there for the movie, really not for the movie, but for the end credit scene that's going to, what's going to happen next. And I, I thought the end credit scenes didn't disappoint at all. Um, but I try to remind myself and be balanced. I'm here for the whole story, not just what's going to happen next. What's going to happen next. There's a sense of, again, in our own personal lives and our own spirituality, a sense of being in the moment, being in the present, but also looking to the future, also having goals for the future. Yeah, I have an, an eternity, uh, an eternal destination awaiting for me, but what about the now and what's happening in the story at the moment? How does the plot thicken now with me and my purpose there? So so I have to remind myself when I go to these movies, the same thing happens in my own life. But, but yeah, there's in credit scenes of expanding Thanos' family and also this other character that I didn't know a whole lot about. Man, I know a lot about comics. I know a lot about Marvel, but I don't know much about the Black Knight. And this was teased throughout the movie. And then at the end credit scene, here's another character, whether it's Shang-Chi or others who can be part of this new wave of adventures or new heroes in the Marvel Universe. Here's another uh, obscure character, somewhat obscure um, that's being brought into the limelight that I'm looking forward to seeing how his place is going to be here in the big picture. You know, is he going to get his own movie or, or be brought in to a TV show or, or another team up? I, I don't know. Well, that's the thing, right? Like Marvel is built off of a series of super obscure teams in a lot of respects. And that is fortified with your tentpole characters. You know what I mean? But so much of Marvel's history is in these, you know, random pairings of, of superheroes. A lot of times they were superheroes that couldn't sell their own book. And so they got lumped together (laughs) in a lot of respects. And so that's something like you had said before, that is a trend that the MCU does very, very well. And it becomes problematic to me when you're more focused mentally on the end credit. Now, granted, I personally am not a big fan of what Marvel did to the cinematic world, A, with their formula, but B, with the end credit thing. I think it, I think it destroyed cinema in a lot of regards because it becomes so tempting to sit there and be like, well, what are they going to set up? Where's the story going? What's the what's the big bomb? Because that's when the that's when the juicy stuff is going to take place. Right. If your if your audience is more focused on that, then you have failed on some level as a storyteller, and that's what I very much think happened. But at the same token, the other layer of failure there is that I left this wanting to see the Black Knight, not giving a crap about the rest of the characters. I don't care if I ever see the rest of these characters in another um, <laughs> in another movie. Right. I do care if I see Dame Whitman in a future uh, MCU movie. And yeah. that's the same yeah. deal. Like Iron Man was a super obscure C-list character, 
when Robert Downey Jr. picked him up to the point where nobody noticed. But if you watch, if you watch the, the progression of comics, Tony Stark in the comic suddenly becomes more and more Robert Downey Jr. like in, in appearance yeah. Oh, yeah, to, ma- yeah. to, to mimic the movies and all of that kind of stuff. Like Shang-Chi is another one. Super beloved movie. Really, really like the, the fan base really reacted to that one. Name me one person who like I know about Shang-Chi's uh, character <laughs> outside of this. Mo- Come on. Like right. two people right. might raise their hand. You know what I mean? And it's the same deal with this. It's you can take more liberties with these characters. As long as you aren't you you aren't so totally egregious that you that that you really push away the the fans of the source material, as long as you give some credit there, then the world is your oyster in a lot of regards, as long as you tell a good story. So if you notice there's a difference between this character that is in like what uh, a third of the movie. And I think I'm being generous total, total screen time. You walk out wanting more of this character and these other characters that took up most of this movie, they still had a lot of that. You had a lot of that same freedom to be able to tell a brand new, a brand new story with them, but it just wasn't, it wasn't compellingly done, so I don't care. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I, I'll disagree with you a little bit about the end credit scene. I, I think, um, yeah, I, I do see other movies trying to copy that, and they probably shouldn't. But the reason I still I read comics is, man, that serialized. I get a new. I go get my stack of comics on Wednesday, and man, that comic has to have that final page to really tease me to want to see what happens in that. So I love. I, I chase that 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 feeling of the last page teaser of the shock of the character returning or a villain showing up or something happened to make me want to see what the next story is going to be. So I think within the comic book movies, that fits 100% because I want a final page or a teaser to say what's going to happen next. Uh, and then, you know, Dune didn't have a closing. So people are asking, is there going to be uh, an end credit scene? And they're like, no, uh, it, it's, it's just the credits. There, there's no teaser of what happened there, even though they will make another one. Um, that I think it fought that temptation of having an end credit scene. Like, look, we're not a comic book. We're on, we're its own thing. Here are the list of people. And it's taught us to sit in our seats, uh, to read all the people who put all the hard work into these movies. Uh, so I'll, I'll still watch the, even if there's no credit scene, end credit scene, I'll still watch the credits just to, you know, props to the people who help create this piece of art. But but you're right, there has to be that balance. I think it fits within the comic book movies just because, man, that's what comic books are known of, that that every Wednesday or every month there's something that brings us uh, to the next one. Well, let's transition a little bit and talk about the philosophical and uh, theological aspect of the movie. You know, in a, in a former episode, we talked a little bit of kind of sci-fi at its best. It draws out questions uh, that that haunt human beings in terms of where our place is in the universe, and this definitely had that. I mean, it started with uh, a biblical phrase that kicked off really everything in the beginning. Right. Dot dot dot, and then it filled its own blank, its own story. Uh, but what 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 was the main question uh, of this movie that it was trying to ask us? What, on your point of view, what was the thrust or the question that it was challenging its audience to ask and wrestle with uh, in this movie? Um, as humans, where do we fit? As humans, what's our purpose? 
You know what I mean? Sometimes it can feel like there's so many things going on outside of just humanity. And in regards, there are things going outside, going on outside of humanity that where do humans fit in all of this? And so I loved that aspect of mm. this movie, the questions that it, that it posed, because it's, it's easy to get lost. Even as Christians, it's easy to get lost in the weeds when it comes to all of this and not have a healthy perspective on what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to what is, what, what are the implications of being human and what are the implications of having a relationship with the savior? Hmm. You know what I mean? That's, and that's something that is its own, its own topic. You know what I mean? These, these, implications of when you recognize that there are celestial figures at play here, things that are divine at play uh-huh. here. What does that mean? And there's a whole lot of people that have a whole lot of different perspectives on what it means to be human and where are, where we fit and what is do us as humans and all of those kinds of things. Yeah, I agree. The, the main question definitely what does it mean to be human? What's our place in the universe? And then, and then I tried to go down the road of the problem of pain and evil and suffering. Um, you know, the, this evolutionary arc that humans are in terms of progression, and we we are part of an evolving universe. And where where do we fit in this evolving universe? Is it just by chance? Is it with a purpose? Is it with uh, some divine intelligence behind it? pulling us along, guiding us along the way. And so I I do like how the Eternals themselves wrestle with that question on their own, whether it was Sprite, who was forever young, who wouldn't want to always be young, always be able to live forever, wrestling with immortality. Wrestling is mortality a part of the human nature that draws us, that makes life even more precious or if we were mortal and live forever, will we get tired and bored of what's going on in the world? Is asking these questions a, a show that I'm a fan of? I know not everybody is, but I, I, the Good Place, um, man, it played around with this this uh, idea, philosophical question of what it means to be human and what does it mean to live forever or not? What is death's place in the universe? And um, yeah, I thought it lifted these questions, these big moral, philosophical, almost the the trolley problem question to the forefront of, of what would we do? Who are we and our place in the universe? So, so yeah, I think that there, I think that there are um, a couple of pit stops that are nigh inevitable when you try and start talking about the kinds of things that this tried to talk about, including something as something cataclysmic, like, mm-hmm. like the snap. You know what I mean? And right. and now you're right. seeing that there are divine beings in play, celestial uh, bodies at play when this huge thing happened and so much life was lost. And then you have to start asking the kinds of questions of, okay, if that exists, then how come that happened? That's one of my favorite questions to get posed with. I love as uh, in, in missions, I love when people approach me about the problem of evil. And I think it's, it's one that Christians have done a very good job at overcomplicating 
over mm. over time um you know it it boils down to two things it boils down to free will and hope because the second that you start talking about problems in the world and sin and all those kinds of things, that's the second that I get to start talking about the hope of Jesus Christ. And I mean <laughs> the hope, you know what I mean? Because that's what right. we have is hope to get into that, that theological part of part of it. That's what we have. You know what I mean? That's what makes the problem of evil. I'm going to say, okay, palatable, acceptable. I don't know. Whatever word you want to put in there. Um, but and and it's interesting to me. I got some. I got some really. You, you brought up Sprite. I really. <laughs> I thought it. I thought it introduced some very interesting quandaries, especially for somebody like me. Um, a very small piece of my backstory. I'm a former transhumanist. I very much was the type of person before I got saved, I thought technological and biological integration was the key to immortality. And for somebody with a death phobia, the key to immortality is very, very, very tempting. Trying to find that and getting lost in that is very, very tempting. So it wrestles with these questions of what does it mean to be forever young? What does it mean to live forever? What does that what what are the implications of being somebody who a can never change certain aspects of themselves but at the same token watches generations come and go over full cycles right. and different right. things like that and there are some people that are like okay i'll make new friends i'll find i'll i'll start a new life i'll figure it out and there are other people like nope that actually sounds like hell you know what I mean? So, right, you know, right. I, 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 that's, again, it's a, its own topic of conversation. But, you know, when you're talking about these these philosophical things, I think a lot of these things end up, if you're really diving into the nuts and bolts of this conversation, of these kinds of conversations, you almost need to take multiple pieces of these different things. So I can see how just by nature, of what it is that you're talking about, you end up with this whole buffet tables worth of really significant questions and really good questions to ask, but you almost have so much that there it's an impossibility to be able to do justice to any one of these topics, at least in that kind of format. Yeah, and I appreciated that the the Eternals themselves, the characters, had different responses to different things. So, yeah, there were ten of them. That was overwhelming at times, but but they each had a response of how they respond to humanity or their place or being stuck on Earth, waiting for their their call to go back home. They responded different ways, whether it was to create a movie genre or have a family or start to become a professor or whatever that may be. They had their ways to respond and we can find ourselves in those things. I talk about transhumanism. There is a, um, a friend of mine who oversees the Christian transhumanism uh, club to where he talks about integrating kind of similar to faith and science. How do we integrate technology machines with humans and our faith? So, yeah, that, those are big questions. Those are big sci-fi questions. There's big philosophical questions, um, uh, bioethics, ethics that are that are part of this that I think continue to push and challenge us. That is is great. And as we ask the question of what does it mean to be human, and then we what is our place in the universe? Is there a moral arc to the universe, a purpose to the universe? The natural, the next big question is: Okay, is there a God? What is God's nature? What is God's character? Uh, and then. 
who do we believe God to be that's behind all this? And so I think this asks it too. And as you were talking about a little bit, this, this movie started with the phrase in the beginning, dot, 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 and created its own kind of creation myth and creation story. We, we have scripture in the Bible that starts in the beginning. And really the point of Genesis isn't necessarily to lay out all the mysteries of the universe or, or a, a science textbook that you place in somebody's lap to learn all things science. But really what the Hebrews were trying to do is to create this counter narrative that humans aren't our mistake, that humans aren't a byproduct of a war between the gods. There were all these creation myths surrounding the Hebrews uh, from humans were born out of the blood of defeated gods, right? Or, or that they're a nemesis, a mistake, that they are uh, just a, a piece of mold on a piece of bread who are devouring it forever. Hebrews were like, no, uh, Yahweh, uh, God, uh, created us out of love, created us out of goodness, that God even says it is good. You, you, God refused to be God um, apart from us. I want to be in relationship with you. So really behind the backdrop of Genesis uh, is this understanding of not only the understanding of humans are, but, but who they understand God to be as well and the nature and character of God. So I think that's something we can lift up as Christians and people of faith to say, all right, here at the beginning, who do we understand God to be and who are we in relationship to the God who created us out of love uh, and called us good from the very beginning? I'll tell you, I and this is actually a, a whole thought process that actually led me to the perspective that um, transhumanism and Christianity mm -hmm. are diametrically opposed. I it breaks my heart to say that, but it is it is one thing to say I love God, I respect God, I fear God, I have reverence for God. And there's a lot of things that you can say about how we, as the creation, feel about God, the Creator, but. Let's talk for a second about how the creator feels about his creation. We have significance, worldly mm -hmm. speaking, within this universe because we are created. Because of the creator. Through the creator is where we find our, our significance. And that's hard for some people when you realize that it, it is... It is how, how do I say this? Gosh, I did this out. Um, you have to remind them sometimes. I'm just kidding, Josh. Um, you you have these. It matters how you interact with this world, how you interact with people. Mm -hmm. how how God treats people too, how God cares for people, how God thinks about people. Uh, that, influ that should influence us in the way that we interact with people. And so to understand that, you know, I, I lived a whole bunch of time doing the Christian thing, the Christianese thing of being, you know, knowing, knowing all of the, the words to the songs and when to raise my hand and all those kinds of things, you get paper theology at that point. And that's all it was. And then I realized it and I was like, never mind this. And I split and I went off to live for myself. And that's exactly yeah. what I did. And then I fell hard and came back to the cross and realized, wait a minute, 
this whole gospel thing that I've heard a million times before. This gospel story is true. And the God who created us loves us, cares for us, yeah. has invested interest in what what we do and how we act and all of those kinds of things. Dude, that's, that is paradigm shifting. That is enough to break your reality in the best possible way. So, so these implications and, and even down to, you have, you, you have somebody like Paul who says in what some consider to be a throwaway line. I know that's, uh, that's hard to say about something in the Bible, but something that's mentioned and then moved away from that. We have the mind of Christ Hmm. that we are indwelt, that these, that, that relationship that we have with God bears impact on us as well. So when, when you discuss what it means to be human, that has to come from a place of understanding that we aren't just byproducts of a disgruntled accident amongst higher beings than us. Like a lot of other belief systems believe. That right, we're not cre- caught between this duality of war between God and Satan or the celestials and the eternals. We're not caught between right. this cosmic war. We're rather created with a purpose and with intrinsic value. Uh, and that do- that is paradigm shifting you know, how we treat our neighbor, how we love ourselves and how we love others. I, I agree. Right. I'll, I'll push back with a little bit on the, on the Christian transhumanism. I think, I think you're right. When we start moving down the road, the Tower of Babel, trying to do things on our own or science sciencism that says science is the end all and that's our our quest for immortality without integrating god or faith into that then then i think that's a problem that's where people of faith and christians can bring a different side to the story but in terms of like technology and the gift of of technology i think there's a way as christians we can talk about that too for instance like you with glasses on your head like you have a certain part of technology that's a part of who you are that helps you augment your life. My dad has a, a pacemaker, so he has a machine that's keeping his heart moving. I There are people I know, I'm diabetic, I don't have a pump yet, but I know friends who have pumps that are there. they have merged with science, kind of science and technology talk and discussion about vaccines, those kinds of things that Christians can talk about that aspect as an aspect of faith and as gifts from the divine to help us live quality of lives and, and take care of our neighbors. So I, I definitely hear what you're saying on one side, but then also not to abandon all of it because there's there's a there's room for the other side to talk some about technology, science, good stewardship. You know, in terms of God saying, I'm entrusting you with creation, go back to the beginning of Genesis. Here, be good stewards, uh, be fruitful, multiply, take care of what I've given you, this gift of creation. And I think even technology, science, medicine can be a part of that good stewardship of, of a higher calling of how that can integrate with our, with our faith and how we, how we see God. So, so to push back a little bit, um, I, I totally get what you're saying. I'm the type of person that, trust me, you're not going to catch me sleeping on science. I think it's insane to me how many Christians so totally just ignore science because Mm. if it's not just what I heard on Sunday school, then it doesn't matter. No, 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 no. There are multiple forms of evolution, and some of them have, wait for it, been proven scientifically true. (laughs) I know, I know, Chris. Amen. I'm with you, 
you know, so so there are a lot of places where science and you know, science in and of itself is the understanding of how our world works. Right. That doesn't disqualify God because God's the one that made the universe that we are studying. God blessed us with science and abilities to be able to understand the world around us and to be able to avoid things like, you know, you talked about the booster shot. I don't care. I understand it's, it's, it's unpopular. I don't care. But people also were dying of polio a whole while back. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, we've Great. been able to have these tools to be able to overcome things that would have otherwise killed off humanity. We have been able to do things like man seeing the stars because of things like science, to be able to understand and cooperate the Bible because that was the whole thing, right? I got saved and then a whole year of, okay, I, I need to understand and believe the context in which this promise, in which the, the, the claims of this book lie. And in in this, this, this book claims to be a lot of things. Now let's go through the process of proving it. And I went through beat for beat. And I believe that with that, before you even get to the Bible, there's enough scientific proof to prove the empty tomb. So like I said, science and faith, 100%. Like to me, science fortifies my faith and makes me be able to be out in nature and be out in creation and say, God, you created all of this. And yet you still understand who I am better than I understand me. I will never get that fully, but praise God for it. Huh. There comes a point though, where you, where you cross you, th to me, it becomes, it becomes a game of morality. At a certain point, who gets oh, to play yeah. God? Who gets mm -hmm. to use mm -hmm. who gets to use these implementations to artificially sustain life in a way outside of a vaccine or glasses or aids to things to help better the life that a person is leading? And for, and from my perspective, and this is this is its own moral question, but I personally do not believe that humans are capable of holding that gun without misfiring it because it will inevitably come down to pride. It will inevitably come down to a class system. Who gets it? Who doesn't get it? You would have to go to Star Trek levels of uniformity in accepting um, advancement over stuff in order for that to actually play out. And to me, and from what I've seen, humans just aren't capable of that. I think we want to believe we are, and I think we have high hopes for that. And I think that, the, but I think that, that once you take it out of the, the um, theoretical and put it into the practical, that 100% falls apart. Joe, I love your passion. So good. Yeah, I agree with you. I think we're more on the same page than, than, yeah, than, we both think, I mean, I think I'm with you. Um, I think that it plays out in the movie when the atomic, dropping the atomic bomb, and that gun, are we able to hold it? Yeah, uh, atomic energy splitting the atom was, was meant by a scientist for good, for a new, for new way of, of harnessing energy for the human race, but then we turned it into a weapon. So yeah, I totally agree. And I think that's what Christians and people of faith can bring to the table when it comes to science and playing God or 
wherever they may be, that we have a voice to talk about morality and value where scientists want to see how far we can push or what we're capable of. I think philosophy, theology can come to the table and say, wait, let's let's attach some values and morality to these things, uh, too. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, good discussion. I think it all fits when it comes to Eternals in this movie, because I think that's what it was trying to ask, too, especially when it shows a picture of Darwin and talk about evolution and where humans progression progressing to um, is the reason that it's so quiet out there in the universe. We haven't been contacted by aliens yet. Is that we're not smart enough yet or haven't reached a higher level of consciousness? I don't know, but that's good for sci-fi, good questions. But I do think as people of faith who believe in a God of love and grace that has infused us with, um, with value, that, that we, we have a voice uh, at the table as well when it comes to those things. You mentioned Paul, so I want to bring in the Bible verse um, of the day. And this is 1 Corinthians 13, chapter uh, chapter 13, verse 12. And, and yeah, I know, 1 Corinthians 13, read at a lot of weddings, but I don't think Paul meant it to be a poem being read at, at weddings all the time. But he's really trying to tap into this mystery of the universe. And so uh, it reads, For now, what we see in a mirror dimly, we shall see face to face. Now I know only in part, then... I will know fully, even as I am fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide in these three, but the greatest of these is love. And I think that's what the movie was trying to say at some point. Purpose is love, but then this mystery of like, yeah, we don't see everything that's going on in the universe, but we do know somebody who does know what's going on in the universe and holds us in the palm of God's hand and uh, a palm rooted in love. And so I think that's where we're at, and that's where we're going. Joe, any final thoughts or words when it comes to the scripture or, or the movie or the big questions? Yeah, it's funny that you had mentioned the bit about weddings because my wife and I, the the pastor who married us, actually wanted to read that, and I <laughs> vetoed it because it just uh, to me it does not from from everything that i know about the about the writing it's not meant for for weddings it says more about humans place in the world than it does about how to treat your partner or how to perform in a marriage or anything like that um right it, right and so, no, no judgment on those who chose it to be their wedding but i think sometimes oh, yeah, it gets no. just reduced to that one day in people's lives and it has a and a cool thing to go back and read chapter 13 1 Corinthians yeah. 13, and replace the word love with God, since uh, in 1 John it talks about God is love. Um, replace the word love with God and read it through, and you can see the full nature of, of who God is. It's a pretty fun exercise to read that in a different way. Pretty fun to do. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's do some plugs. Oh, yes. Uh, great discussion. Joe, appreciate uh, what you bring to the table and to this podcast. And and yeah, we invite our, our listeners to go to systematicecology.org, I believe. It's .org, .com. I think it's .org. .org. Uh, .org. And so you can find the host there. You can ask questions. You can engage. We invite you to uh, go to our Patreon page and support us there to get extra content, support this. And if there are any topics or questions that we're not hitting or if we, we spark something new or, or something else you disagree with us with, we'd love to hear from you and can't wait to hear what you have to say and, and things that we can do in, in the future. Um, yeah. Anything else there, Joe, I'm forgetting in terms of plugging systematic ecology. Yeah. No, uh, 
we so many of these conversations can only go so far during during this format. So seriously, we have we have the Facebook group, we have the Facebook page, we have the the website, right, right, we right, have right. these different means to engage and to continue on the conversation and that's that's kind of the goal here you know we we have this conversation and it's to stimulate further conversation because as you're as you're having that conversation you're thinking through these things you're looking past just the 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 geekiness of it all into the the larger implications so you know don't don't be afraid to you know if there's something that you hear that you want to engage further with uh hit us up that's what those platforms are there for. One hundred percent. Yeah. So a couple couple things I I do want to um, share with the group recommendations. I there is a book about Jack Kirby. I, I know I put in other places too. But if you're interested in his per, his kind of legacy when it comes to comics and graphic novels, there's a graphic novel about his life called Jack Kirby: The Epic Life of uh, the King of Comics. Tom. Scioli, I think, S-C-I-O-L-I. Um, great, great uh, graphic novel, and it talks about his life. So I, I recommend go read that book, uh, especially in light of, of Jack Kirby's original creations coming to the big screen. Yeah, um, likewise, I would like to recommend a, um, a documentary that uh, DC put up on their um on their YouTube channel last year, uh, during, during the height of everything, they put out every week, they were putting out a different short style documentary. It's like 45 minutes in length, but they do one on Jack, on Jack Kirby and the impact that he had on DC. So it's nice to see from more than just the Marvel side, what, what he, what he contributed to the comic book universe. So thanks for listening, y'all. Let us know what you're thinking, what you're, what you're geeking out on. And uh, remember, we are a priests to the geeks. All right. Peace. This was an Anazal Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, be sure to check out the Anazal Ministries podcast network.